Hello, and welcome to the podcast for East 11th Street Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm Jordan Messer, the pastor of East 11th, and I'm delighted you found our podcast. We hope the content here is an encouragement to you and pray the Lord uses it to bear fruit in your life. If you have questions about anything you hear today or would like to know more about following Jesus, you can find us on Facebook by searching for East 11th Street Baptist. And now, here's today's message. morning, I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in the New Testament, the very last book of the Bible, uh, the New Testament letter of Revelation. Sunday mornings, we began a series last week uh, looking at this magnificent letter uh, to, to real churches. Uh, who really existed, and, and really to all churches who would ever exist. This letter is written to give encouragement uh, and to reveal the plan of God. So Revelation chapter 1 uh, is our passage this morning. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, let's read together. If you're using the Pew Bible, the hardbacked uh, blue Pew Bible, you'll find this passage beginning on page 1200. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is what the Bible says. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands 
are the seven churches. You know, the name Jesus means many different things to many different people. Uh, to some, the name of Jesus is a, a historical curiosity. It's an academic pursuit. Did this person really exist? Where did uh, the legends of Jesus come from? Uh, did he exist in history at a real place? It's a historical curiosity. Uh, for others, the name Jesus is really nothing more than a swear word. To others, the name of Jesus is the name of their Savior. They cherish the name. They love the name of Jesus because it's the name of the person who saved them from their sins. Uh, this fact that the name Jesus means many different things was on clear display over the past week uh, at the events that happened at our Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I'm sure many of us were just angry and distraught at the, what we saw happening at our, our Capitol uh, and uh, the, the tragedy that happened there. Um, as you saw some of the images unfold as these they're being described as domestic terrorists as they overtook the Capitol building. I was interested at the various flags that many of them were carrying. Some carried in a Confederate battle flag as a symbol of uh, lost cause, white heritage, and, and rebellion. Others carried in uh, a flag uh, with Trump's name on it, with the Trump flag. Uh, seems to indicate that our allegiance should be more to a president than the nation. Uh, I saw American flags being carried in. People were carrying American flags and can only assume that they saw themselves as the real patriots trying to save our country uh, by breaking into the federal building. But most interesting to me was the several people that I saw carrying flags with the name Jesus. A Jesus flag being carried in, storming the Capitol. And I just have to wonder, what was the intention there? Uh, what, what made this person think Jesus would be on their side? That they were even doing the will of God, the, the work of Jesus, by storming this building and partaking in violence. And I have to ask the question, who is the Jesus they're worshiping? I think the fact that many of the people who did this on Wednesday, they would have called themselves Christians, and yet they were involved in this, what's being called insurrection and a lot of violence happening on that day, I think the fact that they would, many of them, I can't speak for all of them, but I think we're safe to say many of them considered themselves Christians or would call themselves Christians, I think it gives us an opportunity to examine who we think Jesus is. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to worship Jesus. Who do we think this person is that we're worshiping? And have we co-opted a Jesus to help us fulfill our agenda? 
This is a crucially important question. Because if you don't know Jesus, the real Jesus, as he is preserved for us in the scripture, if you don't know who Jesus is right now today, you can't be saved. And if we worship a Jesus that is false, if you're worshiping a false Jesus, you're worshiping Jesus in name only, but you don't know who he is, what the Bible teaches about him. You'll never go to heaven. If we worship a Jesus that never challenges us, never disagrees with us, and most importantly, a Jesus that never makes us fall on our knees in worship, we aren't worshiping the real Jesus. I love this passage of scripture because it gives us a vision of Jesus. Of the risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. That's what I want you to see from this passage. I want you to see this vision of Jesus. Jesus, first of all, is risen. He is the risen Jesus. The resurrected Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, that's why really John was exiled here on Patmos. That's what John tells us. He is on the island called Patmos. You saw that in verse 9. Uh, the island of Patmos is a real place. It's still there. Uh, it's in the Aegean Sea and it was used in the time of John, as uh, it, was a, it was a populated island. There were people living there, but it was also used as a, a prison colony for the government of Rome, almost like a, a sort of Guantanamo Bay, if, if you will. It was where many were exiled and imprisoned. And John was put here on the island because, he says, of the testimony of Jesus. Because he had been preaching that Jesus was the true king of kings and ruler, and that Jesus had been raised from the dead. It's very clear when you read the New Testament, that was the message of the early Christians, that this man who was crucified, who was put to death, he actually was raised from the dead, and he's reigning in heaven now. now there's no need in worshiping a dead person. I want you to understand that. There's no point in worshiping and serving someone who's dead. All other religions on earth are founded on dead men. Muhammad is dead. No one disputes that. The Buddha is dead. No one disputes this. Baha'u'llah is dead. No one disputes that. Joseph Smith died. There's no argument about that. Confucius is dead. Zoroaster is dead. All these men are dead. They all died, and no one disputes this. What's distinct about Christianity is that we worship a risen Savior. He is alive. He died, but he's not dead anymore. We don't worship a dead man. Jesus is alive 
and well and active. Jesus did not flee death and escape to a place of nirvana. Jesus conquered death with eternal life. We worship a Jesus who is risen. And John says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day in verse 10. The Lord's day is just another way of speaking of Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which is when the early church began worshiping because Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday. On the first day of the week, we are worshiping even now on the Lord's day. Why would the disciples give their lives for a lie? Why would they go through exile, persecution, crucifixion for a man they knew was dead? Now John is here. He's going through trial because Jesus is risen. Because he's alive today. He's still alive. He is still active. What does it mean for you that Jesus is risen from the dead? Well, I think it means first, anything is possible. If Jesus can overcome death, anything is possible. I love that in verse 18. Jesus says of himself, I am the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. You read your Old Testament, you'll see that God himself is often identified as the living God. He is the living one. Because Christ is alive, because he has overcome death, Anything is possible. Anything. Christ, think about this. Jesus has already overcome the very worst thing that could ever happen to you. Dying. Everybody's afraid of dying. And Jesus has already faced it and conquered it. And he is the living one with all power. Anything's possible because Jesus is alive. I think also we can endure anything because Jesus is alive. John speaks here in verse 9 of, of tribulation and patient endurance. John gave his very life for the kingdom because he knows Christ is alive. And if Christ is alive, there is hope. There is light at the end of this difficulty that I'm facing. So we can endure. And if Christ is risen, if Jesus is alive, listen to this very importantly. That means your life is in his hands. Your life is in his hands. That's what he says at the end of verse 18. He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Every person who dies will have to reckon with Christ. Because he's the only one who's been raised from the dead. 
He overcame death. He has authority. That's what the word keys mean. It means he has authority over death. And Hades is the place of judgment. So if you want to overcome death. And if you want to overcome judgment. You need to know about Jesus. Because he has authority. Christ is the judge over all of life. Have you entrusted your life to him? Christ has risen, so your life is in his hands. But that's not the only part of the vision. Jesus is risen, but he's also reigning. He's also reigning. He says in verse 17 that he is the first and the last. I love that. And actually, the passage that we read last week, God said he was the first and the last. Alpha and Omega, the, the first and the last, the one who is, the one who was, and, and the one who is to come. What, what's going on? Are we confused? Is, is it God who's the first and the last, or is it Jesus who's the first and the last? Well, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. Jesus is God. This is what we call the, the Trinity. Not that there are three gods, but that we worship one God who is God the Father, who is God the Son in Christ Jesus, and who is God the Holy Spirit. He is one God who is three persons. And Jesus rules as the second person of the Godhead over all history. So Jesus himself is the first and the last. Jesus himself is the Alpha and the Omega because he is God because he is divine. That's the image we're given in verses 13 through 16. Those verses might sound strange to you. This person who's wearing a long robe, this person who has white hair, who, who, who has these flaming eyes. The image here is meant to teach us that this is a human being. This is a person, but this is a person who is divine. John wants you to understand. John is not trying to trick you or confuse you. Because if we were to read our Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, we would see the same images in that passage. And I need to do a little bit of teaching here because this is the first real vision we come to in Revelation that has a lot of symbols. And as you read Revelation... Notorious, uh, Revelation is notorious for all the symbols. People will get bogged down. They'll get caught up in what all these symbols mean. And what is this? And what is that? And what does that represent? I want you to understand that not everything you read in Revelation is to be taken literally. I mean, if we were to take this literally... Verse 16 sounds very painful to me. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword. I mean, I've seen people in circus acts put a sword down their mouth, but that just, this is not something to be taken literally as if Jesus literally has a sword in his mouth. This is an image meant to communicate something to you. And John, who's very familiar with his Old Testament, and he's counting on the hearers in the church to be familiar with their Old Testament, he gets this vision of this divine human and he says, that looks like Daniel 7. He pulls from his knowledge of scripture 
so that we'll understand what he's trying to communicate. The images here of the long robe and the sash, that was what the priests wore. The, the white hair is not talking about he's old, it's talking about his wisdom, his holiness. His eyes like the flame of fire, communicating that his vision is piercing, he has discernment. The, the feet like burnished bronze speak of his, his everlasting stability. At the very center of the vision is the voice. The voice like the roar of many waters. I don't know if you've ever been around a waterfall, a massive waterfall. It's, it's deafening. And the voice of God roaring through history, revealing himself. This image is meant to stop us in our tracks. You can get yourself a good commentary, get yourself a good study Bible, you can get into the symbolism if you like. For our purposes, I want you to step back and experience the vision. Feel it as John felt it. Seeing Jesus as the stunning, fearful, Glorious, divine, brilliant, dazzling, awful, glorious, shining, majestic, blazing ruler of the earth. That's the image you're meant to see. This is not someone that you can co-opt for your own purposes. For your own agenda. I love the story in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is walking along. He's been teaching. He's ministering to the people. And someone yells at him, Jesus, help me and my brother settle this dispute. I want some inheritance. Help me and my brother settle this. What does Jesus say? Who appointed me as arbiter over you? In other words, I'm not here to settle your petty disputes. I'm not here to take sides. I'm not here to, to, to do whatever you ask me to do. Jesus will not and cannot be strong-armed to accomplish your purposes and your desires. Because he is the ruler. Because he is the risen one. Because he is the one who reigns. But that's who Jesus is for many people. He's the nice, kind, peasant carpenter who's ready to help you repair your life. He's the gentle teacher leading his followers along the countryside. Is that your vision of Jesus? Is that where it stops? That's a Jesus that can be manipulated. That's a Jesus that can do just about anything you want him to do. This Jesus, in all his glory and majesty, cannot be manipulated, cannot be controlled, cannot be managed. John, his own disciple, the man who walked with him for three years, 
who sat next to him at the Lord's Supper. John calls himself the beloved disciple because of the intimate love that he and Jesus had for one another because they were so close in their friendship. John sees him and falls down dead. And when you read your Bible and you see people have these kinds of encounters with God, when he reveals his glory, when he shows his majesty, it's not a casual thing. Seeing God in his glory, seeing Christ for who he is, strikes fear in us and strikes awe in us. It happened to Moses. He had to be put in the cleft of the rock so that God could merely pass over him. When God revealed himself on the mountain to Elijah, Elijah had to cover his face with his cloak. When Christ revealed his glory on the seaside in Galilee, Peter dropped to his knees and said, please depart from me, I'm sinful. When Isaiah stood in God's temple and saw his robe Isaiah fell and said, I'm an unclean person. And when you see this Christ, it's a stunning thing. But I love this. Watch this. We fall to our knees in worship, but that's not where he leaves us. That's not where we stay. I love this. Verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But... And that's grace right there. But he laid his right hand on me. His right hand, the hand of honor. And said, fear not. Because Jesus is reigning. He's king. He's ruler, the first and the last. But he is also our priest. And he brings us into fellowship with God. And he lays his hand upon us. And he assures us not to fear. This is the Jesus we know, love and worship. Exalted, glorious, brilliant, stunning, holy, wise, powerful. Yet at the same time, humble, intimate, tender, and caring. And although John is exiled on this island, he sees in this vision that his Savior reigns. And that the God of the universe who holds stars in his hand cares even for him. And he has a task for John. Write down what you see because Jesus is not just risen. He's not just reigning, but he's also returning. Jesus is returning and he has a message for his churches. His churches are going to be living through a time of tribulation. The churches are living through the end times. I want you to understand that the end times is not just some period of seven years at some point in the future. Ever since the resurrection, 
we have been living in the end times. We talked about this last week. And there are times of tribulation that have to occur leading up to the return of Christ. And the churches are going to be living through this tribulation. That's, that's what the Bible says in verse 9. I'm a partner in tribulation. The church will have to endure through difficult times. But the church, we're told, is a lampstand. That's an interesting image. The lampstand was in the temple to give light to the priest as they worked. And the church pictured as a lampstand is meant to teach us that we are to be a light in the world, in the place where we've been commissioned, shining the light on Jesus, bearing testimony to his goodness and his grace and his glory. And Jesus walks among his lampstands. I love that image of Jesus in the midst of his churches. And when Jesus returns, how will he find his church? Who is the Jesus his church is bearing witness to? Is it a Jesus that they have invented? Have we, have we traded this Jesus for something that's a little more suitable to what we want? Who is the Jesus for worshiping? I'm not here to sugarcoat things for you this morning, church. In this world, the church will face trials and difficulty. You can just ask your brothers and sisters living in Sudan, living in China, living in India. They've been undergoing actual persecution for years. And we've had it very soft, very comfortably here. Thankfully, praise the Lord in our country. And a time of testing might be coming for our country. Not just for the church, but perhaps for the country at large. I don't know. We need to ask ourselves this. In a time of testing, in a time when it's not popular to be a Christian, in a time when people will have different ideas of what it means to be a Christian, what's going to sustain the church? Is it having the right pastor? Is the right worship style going to sustain the church? Is it the programs that we offer? What's going to sustain the church during trial? Is it electing the right president and Congress? No. What is needed for every church is to recapture this vision of our holy, wise, powerful, risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. And you can be sure that when Jesus returns, he's not coming to occupy the White House. He is coming to this earth to set up his temple and his city and rule all nations over all the earth. 
and he's going to fill the earth with his glory. And if we are going to live in this kingdom, and if we are going to be salt and light, that is where our gaze must be fixed on this Jesus. Risen, reigning, and returning. Let's pray again.